As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by, by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What is church exactly? I mean, how do you define it? You know, is what we're doing now doing church online without physically gathering together. According to the Bible, is that really church at all? And whilst we can't meet, it begs the question, why do we go to church in the first place? Why don't we always just watch someone on the internet at a time we find convenient? I think you could find much better preachers than me online. And you can sing along to music at home. So why should Christians go to church? I mean, there's lots of good answers we could give from the Bible. 
and we'll get to them in this series. But here's some quick ones. Uh, we should get together as church because we're commanded to. Hebrews 10.25 uh, we are a means of God's grace to keep each other going in our faith. Uh, and the image of the body in the Bible uh, for the church, that shows us that we need each other. Uh, we can't do church on our own. And Jesus says the way we love each other as church will be how the world knows that we're his disciples. <laughs> we can't love each other if we don't know each other by getting together. Well, today I want us to take a step back though and think look at the bigger picture look at God's big plan from creation to eternity and help us to see that us coming together as church is and always has been central to God's plans for the universe and then we'll look at how that helps us think about the church um, today in the here and now so what is church? Well, I've got a short answer and I've got a long answer. Um, in, if you think of an outline, short answer is about this much of the talk, then the long answer is about this much, and then there's another short bit at the end. So the short answer, what is church? Short answer is that the word translated as church in the Bible, ecclesia, just means gathering. So it's the same word as in Exodus 19, when Israel gathers at Mount Sinai and is made a nation. It's the same word as in Acts 19, where the assembly riots. That assembly is ecclesia, gathering. But church is specifically the gathering of Christians, people who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, gathered. Uh, it's a gathering of people that God has saved into unity in Christ. Ephesians 3 verse 6 describes us as members together of one body. So as church, whatever is different about us is fundamentally second fiddle to what is the same about us, that we are one in Christ. So for a Christian, you're never more being who you are than when you gather together for church. So church is Christians gathering together. Further, we can say church is Christians gathered together around God, Christ through God's word. So if you look at all the different metaphors that the Bible has for church, every one of them talk about the word as how we gather around Christ. So the bride is cleansed by the word when we're called the temple. The temple is built on the New Testament witness of the apostles and the prophets. Uh, we're called a flock. The flock listens to Jesus' voice. Branches of the vine remain in Jesus when his words remain in us. And the body. The body is built up by people who bring God's word. So the Bible is God's word. And it's through the Bible, the word, God's word in the Bible that we know Jesus, as his Holy Spirit helps us hear and understand and believe the words that he inspired. So that's why in our online service and when we gather, our songs, our prayers, our kids' talks, our sermons, are all centred on the Bible. That's why our growth groups, the places of fellowship and prayer and socialising and fun, 
or the main event is reading the Bible. Because that's how the Holy Spirit speaks to us and shows us Jesus. So what is the church? The short answer is Christians uh, reflecting our physical reality of being one in Christ, sorry, our spiritual reality of being one in Christ by coming together physically around God's word. That's a short answer. The long answer is that we are part of God's plan A. Plan A. You know, sometimes it's hard to think rightly about something when you can't see the overall plan or, or intention for it. So, for example, I read this story about a telephone order for a birthday cake. The lady says this. For my 40th birthday, my husband decided to surprise me with a birthday cake from our local bakery. He said, in the middle, please print happy birthday, Nita. He instructed them over the phone. Then, you're not getting any older at the top and you're getting better at the bottom. When he went to pick it up, he discovered that they had decorated the cake with the words exactly as he had said them. Happy birthday, Nita. You're not getting older at the top, you're getting better at the bottom. The mistake came because the person taking the order didn't get the overall plan of how the cake should look and that the method that the husband had in his mind. And so didn't understand that the writing on the cake was the wrong kind of message. To really understand what church is, we need to zoom out and see where we fit into God's big picture. See, the Bible is, um, in all its diversity, has one cohesive overarching story of God's plan for humanity. And church has been central to God's plan from the beginning. Now, we could spend weeks looking at that storyline, but we'll just break it down into four stages. Creation people, covenant people, Christ people, and resurrected people. So first, creation people. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis 1. God creates mankind in his image. So Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So what does that mean to be made in God's image? Well, from the context of these verses, it's ruling over things. So humanity was supposed to be like God in his image, in ruling over things under his authority. And God commands humanity to fill the earth. And so he creates Eve. You can see how that might help to do that. So that's the plan. Humanity to have dominion, not just over a patch called Eden, but to fill the earth and rule over it for God, with God. But you know the rest of the story. They don't even get out of the startment allotment that God's provided for them, with more than they need, before trying to run things their own way. The plan seems off course from the get-go. So, first stage, 
creation people. Second stage, covenant people. Let's fast forward to Abraham. And this command to fill the earth becomes a promise, like a contract. God says, I will give you a land of your own to have dominion over and fill it with your offspring. So Genesis 12, we find this, verse 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And for the rest of the Old Testament part of God's big plan, God is showing the goodness of his rule through the dominion of this chosen people, Israel. The way to right relationship with God at this stage is by being or becoming a member of this family, this nation, and being faithful to their covenant law. But even now, we still don't see things as God planned them. We don't see humanity ruling for God over creation. Psalm 8 gives us a reminder of how it's supposed to be for humanity. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild. The birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. All that swim the paths of the seas. Under their feet there, that's another way of saying we rule over them. Really? Do you feel like you rule over the birds of the sky when a magpie swoops down at you? Every farmer will tell you that even domesticated animals can be really difficult to control. Just recently I saw this story. A 56-year-old man has died in Darwin after being struck in his chest by a fish. A local fisherman said, from reports, it was like an 18-kilogram mackerel. So it would have been a big fish that speared right into this guy and caused major blunt trauma. What a way to go. You know, the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament quotes Psalm 8 and their conclusion. We don't yet have this dominion, but one human does. Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. In putting everything under, God, under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them, to humans. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while now, crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We are not ruling over earth right now, but Jesus is. The Bible tells us Jesus is ruling with all authority over everything from the invisible heavenly realms right now. And I think when we think of him there, it's easy to forget that although he's God, he's also human. So, you know, when Jesus was resurrected and when he ascended, his body was glorified. Yes. So, you know, he could appear through walls and but he still ate. He could still be touched. 
Jesus never stopped being human. It's a human being who is ruling the universe from heaven. A human being is ruling the universe from heaven. So at long last, God's plan for humanity to have dominion over his creation is being fulfilled. But we're not quite there yet in the story. You remember, God's plan was for humanity to fill the earth, for there to be loads of humans having dominion under God's authority, not just one person. Well, that brings us to our next stage, Christ's people. See, in the Old Testament, it was just Israel that God was including in his plans. You know, God's rescue was just for these select few, this family nation, Israel. And our not being part of that meant that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. We were separated from God, spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But Jesus came to rescue us from that death. He gave himself up to death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can be raised to life with him. Chapter 2 verse 4. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. That means that when we trust and believe in Jesus, it's as if what's happened to him has happened to us. So because he has died for the, for the death for our sin, we've died. Because he's been resurrected, made alive, we've been made spiritually alive. Because he's in heaven, spiritually speaking, so are we. Jesus broke down the barriers so that now we, his church, are included in God's rescue plan. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We, non-Jews, Gentiles, we've been brought into plan A. In other bits of Ephesians, Paul describes this as the mystery. So not, not like a whodunit, like Poirot or something, but something that God has kept secret before this point has been revealed. God has revealed his plan in Jesus. God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven, honour and on earth under Christ. That's God's big plan. Then later on he fleshes this out more. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, that's you and me, 
are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus in Christ Jesus. So in other words, the church, us, Trinity Church Woolcroft, we are God's mystery now revealed that Paul is on about. We're the big plan. Outsiders, once separated from the people of God, that the people that God is gathering to himself, brought together in Christ, fellow citizens of his body together. And that heavenly invisible reality, us included in Christ together, is what theologians call the universal church. That's our spiritual reality in heaven right now. But what about the plan? Where's that got to? God's plan for humanity to rule with him over his creation. Well, because Jesus reigns in heaven, and because what's true of him has become true of us, our spiritual as yet unseen reality is that we reign with him too. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Everything is under his feet, under his rule. So everything is under our feet. So here we are at last, bearing God's image in the invisible heavenly realms right now. In our last stage, resurrected people, when Christ returns, when God renews creation into a new heaven and earth, when we're reunited with our resurrection bodies, we will rule with him for eternity. And not just in a garden, because we've been fruitful and multiplied in a city. So Revelation 22, then they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That's us, will reign forever and ever. So let's summarise. God's plan was for humanity to bear his image, to have dominion over the earth and fill it with his good rule. But in the face of our rebellion, trying to rule for ourselves, God chose a select family, a nation of people to rescue. And through this family nation came the perfect human, Jesus. He opened up God's rescue, gathering into God's people anyone who trusts in him as their Lord and Saviour. And now he rules in heaven and we're made spiritual alive in him, part of his body, the church, to rule with him in heaven now, spiritually, and to rule physically and spiritually when he returns. So how does all this relate to church here and now? Well, church is the visible, boots on the ground, physical expression of that invisible heavenly reality, that universal church. So you know how an embassy or a consulate is, is like a little bit of that country's territory on a foreign land? Well, church is like heaven's embassy on earth. The Bible talks about the church in terms of the heaven reality that we've been looking at. 
but it also refers to the local struggling church, say, for example, Corinth, as the church. See, we aren't just saved into an individual relationship with God, just us and him. We're saved into a people of God, fellow citizens in Christ's body. If you aren't in that universal church, in the invisible heavenly realms church, you aren't a Christian. And the same, if you aren't a Christian, you aren't in that invisible, heavenly, universal church. And to a very large extent, like almost always, membership of the universal, hidden, heavenly church is expressed in membership of the local church. Church, here and now, is the physical manifestation of that heavenly reality. So it's very, very odd to be a Christian and not part of a local church. Now, of course, there are exceptions. You know, of course, some people just can't get to church because of health reasons or whatever. And, um, you know, the Apostle Paul was in prison for ages. He wasn't getting on to church. The thief on the cross next to Jesus. You'd expect to meet him in heavenly realms, wouldn't you? And then on the flip side, there are people who do go to church all the time, uh, to physical church, say and do all the right things, but don't trust and believe in Jesus. So they're at physical church, but not part of the universal church. But those are the exceptions, but mostly, in the main, to a very large extent, the universal church maps onto the local church in the here and now. Well, to put it another way, um, a pastor friend of mine is much braver than me. When he meets someone who says they are a Christian, but they never go to church, he asks, well, what makes you think that you're a Christian? Again, I get it. Some people really do have genuine reasons that they can't be at church. We've got genuine reason why we aren't gathering together at the moment. We just haven't got a venue that will hold us all. But church isn't an optional extra for Christians. Because being in Christ, being part of his body, isn't an optional extra for Christians. And I think knowing that, helps us to understand that we are all church. Now, I know that sounds obvious, and everyone says church is not the building, it's the people. But what I mean is, I've, I've often heard people, uh, myself included, talk about the church. You know, as if it was at arm's length, as if it was a thing that we think about, rather than a thing that we are. So, you know, I've been hurt by the church. The church ought to be doing less of A and more of B. Well, the church is you. The church is me. Gathering together in all our differences, united in Christ. So back to that question. Whilst we can't meet together physically all the time, doing church online. Is this really church? Well, I reckon your gut tells you that there's something missing. 
And you'd be right. See, part of God's plan for the church is that our, div- our diversity and our differences coming together say something. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jews and Gentiles had been completely divided, and now they're brought together in Christ. And getting together in church expressed that physically. And that physical act makes a spiritual declaration. Christ has won. Peace has broken out between us and God and between us and each other. Heaven reality is on the way and it's starting on earth in God's church. But what if those Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus had stayed at home? You know, the Gentile having his bacon sandwiches, with it wearing his mixed fibres, the Jew at his home with his kosher food and his pure cotton PJs, sat there watching on church online, separately. It's not quite the same declaration in the heavenly realms, is it? Look, I reckon God understands. I reckon God's pleased that we've obeyed the authorities by not getting together. And I reckon he'll get us together somehow, eventually. There's not as much diversity in our growth groups that are still gathering, still meeting, but there is some. You know, in my growth group, we're from six different nations. I think we do need to keep remembering that we aren't getting to mirror our spiritual reality on a Sunday morning at the moment. And so we need to find other ways of getting together to express to those heavenly authorities Things have changed. We are God's diverse people, one in Christ. So we've seen what church is. But what is church for? I mean, what does God want us to be getting on on with in the here and now when we do meet until that day Jesus returns? Well, that's what the rest of this series, Church with a Purpose, is all about. We're going to spend five weeks looking at five purposes that God has for his church that we find in the Bible. And we summarise them in words all beginning with the same letter, letter M, five M's, magnification, maturity, mission, membership, ministry. Now, don't worry, you don't need to know them all now. I won't explain them now. We'll go through them one at a time each week. But to finish, what is church? Well, church is the fulfilment of God's big plan for humanity. For humanity, Church is the physical manifestation of a heavenly reality. Why do we go to church? We go to church because we are God's chosen people. We are God's plan A, fulfilling his purposes for humanity as we gather together as one in Christ.